Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Dr. Alicia Bonaparte, an associate professor of sociology at Peitzer College and trained as a medical sociologist with a specialization in reproductive health, health disparities, and female crime and deviance. Along with that, she is the co-editor of Birthing Justice, Black Women, Pregnancy, and Childbirth. We are more than thrilled to speak with her today. Hello, Dr. Bonaparte. Welcome to the show. Hi. So nice to talk with you, Laurel and Danielle. <laughs> oh, man. We're so excited. We're going to calm down. I like Can you. you? <laughs> going with the excitement. I'm here for it. with it. Exactly. Can you start by telling a little bit about yourself and something that you'd like to share with our listeners, not just the usual rundown, right? <laughs> yes. Okay. You want all the juicy stuff. Um, so a couple things about myself. I am one of four. Um, I have three brothers. I'm the only girl. So I think there's a, a still a large amount of tomboyishness within my little system. Um, I'm a proud graduate of Spelman College, and I think that Black feminism influences everything that I do in some shape, form, or fashion, whether it's my teaching, my service, or my research. I think one of the things that I would say about myself is I get really excited when I talk about something and it reaches people and I see the light in their eyes. Like That, for me, just fuels my passion for whatever it is that I'm engaging in, Right? whether it's like charitable work, some type of service work or if it has something to do with teaching. So for me, like when I see people get excited, it just further fuels my excitement. I, my brothers used to affectionately refer to like the energizer bunny. It's like I get feed off of people's energy. And so for me, I would say like, that's one of like the juicy bits about me is if, if you see me in the classroom, for example, my students are like, you got so excited. And I was like, yes, I got so excited because you were excited. And I think my creativity is even further honed by that, if that makes sense. So yeah, those are a couple of things that I would say about myself. I think another thing I probably would say is I do see myself as, as a scholar. I know sometimes people use the term scholar activist, and I make the argument that like I think bits and pieces of my activism are embedded within the work that I do, right? So I may not necessarily be in the front line of a protest, but you better believe that the things I'm teaching my students will give the context for why the protest was necessary. Absolutely. I love that last part of you know, you may not see me at a protest, but trust and believe I'm doing the work. <laughs> um, so the depth of your work and research is really, um, you know, for us, we feel setting the tone for Black maternal care. Um, what set it off for you? Kind of tell us a little bit about your journey into the work. So you know what is so funny? I mentioned earlier that I went to Spelman and I had it in my head that I was going to be this like world-renowned criminologist, right? So like that was my thing. It's what I was interested in. I was even going to create my own like Bonaparte theory. And then in the back of my head, though, I've always been fascinated with childbirth and pregnancy. Like always, 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 you know, I'm that person. I'm just like, I think pregnant women or birthing people are the most beautiful people in the entire world. I don't care what anybody says. And what's so interesting is I get to grad school. And again, I was focusing on a sociology doctor doctorate. And what's interesting is that I took this class with this amazing history professor. I mean, her name is Jane Landers. And Jane was like, what are you interested in? And I was like, I'm interested in women who are considered deviant, doing stuff they're not supposed to do, and society's like fighting against them. And so she's like, let me tell you about these women that were known as grandmother midwives. And I was like, say what? Right, exactly. So in essence, what Jane did is she created a happy marriage of interest for Alicia in that I got to focus on something that had to do with deviance and crime. And I got to do with something that had to do with pregnancy. 
And the thing that was so intriguing is a paper came out of this, right? Because we had to write a paper for the class. And Jane teasingly said to me, she said, no, you know, this is a history paper, not a sociology paper. And I was like, right, Jane, I got it. I got to I got to dig into the archives. So I started digging into these archives in South Carolina and I start finding all of this beautiful and also complex and also very painful literature that's discussing relationships between the midwives and plantation owners. Right. And I thought to myself, OK, this is a story. This is a really cool story. And um, my dissertation actually developed out of that. And so once I found out in particular that these midwives were helping to lead slave revolutions through that deviance piece, they were also helping white and black women have abortions. They were also teaching people how to grow their own food to maintain you know, their own health. I was like, these women are intriguing. I like this. I'm really excited about this. So then as a consequence of this, as I said, my dissertation came out of that paper. And as I started delving more and more, I began to realize something. There's a connection between this history and what's happening now in regards to Black women and their birthing outcomes. And I'm speaking largely about Black women, um, but I want to make sure that I, I do say that I am inclusive. And I think that Black birthing persons is also something to take into consideration as well. But I would just say my interest started with Black birthing women and then expanded to Black birthing persons. And so what was so interesting to me is I said, wait a minute, the way that these doctors talked about Black midwives, the way that these doctors talked about Black women is very similar to the same thing that we see today. And so one of the things I stress to my students all the time and also when I give talks is I say, we cannot assume that there's no historical precedent for the issues that we have today, right? There's always a history. There's always a historical context to why we see these things today. And I think when we take those things into consideration, and not only helps to contextualize, because I mentioned contextualization earlier, but in addition to that, it also helps us to figure out what are the necessary interventions to shift that paradigm, right? To shift those circumstances so that things become better. So what's also intriguing is as I was working on my dissertation, I was asked to be a part of this beautiful group called The Birthing Project. It's a national organization. And they asked me to come on as a consultant given the research that I did. And this is when that, that birthing person thing became like this even larger thing because I thought to myself, this group is doing something really important. They're addressing maternal mortality and infant mortality among Black communities. And I get to be hands-on and seeing not only the work that they do as sisters and also as mentees, but in addition to that, also working alongside with a, a Black female OBGYN as well. And so in working with her, I was like, this is amazing. Like, I want to keep doing this kind of advocacy work. And I would argue, like, that's kind of what birthed all of this, right? Like this happy circumstance of falling into Jane Lander's class, happy circumstance of falling into the archives, happy circumstance of being asked to consult for birthing project. And this is where I am today. I feel like I'm back in school. <laughs> I'm like, dang it, I should have a notebook. <laughs> we have a recording. It's right. fine. <laughs> it's fine. We've got it, Laurel. You get to keep it. <laughs> True. You know what's so funny though? Like when I heard you say you know me so much of my students, because my students are like they're like, I feel like every time I come to your office, you have a book for me to read. You use a, a new vocabulary word. But at the end of the day, I'm like, this is how I know I'm in my vocation. This is how I know I'm supposed to do exactly what I do. Because if I at least pique your interest just a little bit, I hit my goal. I hit yes. my goal. Yes. Yes. So as a medical sociologist, how do you find harmony in both highlighting the pivotal marks of Black birth, but also the joy? I really appreciate this question so much. Um, there's two pieces of this. Um, I mentioned to you all before that when I dive into the archives, a lot of the things that I find are complex. Uh, they're complex in the sadness, they're complex in the violence, and they're also complex in regards to this interesting kind of social permissiveness as well. The reason why I say this is because there's this beautiful quote um, that I think about all the time in my research. 
And it's not going to sound beautiful initially, so I'm just going to forewarn you. But in essence, one of the things I thought was intriguing is these white male physicians in South Carolina literally said, let us go and learn from these midwives and usurp their knowledge and claim it as our own. Now, as I said, that doesn't sound really beautiful at first, right? Because it's like, wait a minute. So these white men came in and in essence stole these women's knowledge. But embedded in that, right, is that we hate you so much, but we also know how powerful your knowledge happens to be. So you see what I mean when I say, when I, when I think about that, when you ask this question about the harmony and the beauty and the pain and so on and so, so forth, for me, I'm like, it's really painful. But if I stick with just these racist dudes, right, then I'm stuck there. But if I look at this other piece of like, these men acknowledge that these women have a history of safely birthing people, right? That these women have a history that is rooted, right? Rooted in practice and ritual. And so at the end of the day, you can deny as much as you want to, but you still came to them because you knew you could not do it. And that for me is something that kind of centers me in my work and is a reminder. I think the other thing is when I get the opportunity to talk with women who are midwives, like folks like Dr. Michelle Drew, and she says, your work like blew my mind. I'm, and I think to myself, really? Like little old me, you know? And so she's like, not little old you, like you did something. And for me, it's like, okay, my work touched you. It pushed you to do something. The other thing that's beautiful for me too is I teach a class called Moon called Black Women in Pregnancy here at Pitzer. And I when I first conceptualized the class, I just wanted to teach a class about what I do, right? And I said to myself, I said, okay, how, how am I going to teach this class? And I said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to combine my interest again. So I'm going to teach the students about this history. And we're also going to do activism with local Black women wellness and reproductive health groups, right? And so as a consequence of that, I actually brought a conference, like a little mini conference here on campus. And seeing these women who had had conversations with each other at like, you know, meetings and things of that sort, having them be able to sit down and talk with each other and to learn about their projects. So instead of there being this silo of information, instead it was a sharing of information. And I remember afterwards, they were like, when are you teaching the class again? So for me, I would argue like that is something that really situates itself in my heart of thinking about, is the work making an impact? And it's not, and I'm not trying to come from an egoistic standpoint, but I think anything that you do, it's it's always with the hope and at least the intention, right? That it influences something positively. And I think that's that's one of the things. I would be remiss though, if I, if I did not say, you know, the Birthing Justice book came out several years ago, right? And there was this notion in which myself and my co-editor, Chinyere, were thinking to ourselves, like, we know that this is important. We know that it means something. But it's also disheartening to see that the stuff that we were talking about when the book was published several years ago is still just as relevant today. And that's the, that's the harder part. But also knowing and seeing that there's policy, that there's more groups that are engaging in this kind of work, like Black Mamas Matter. Um, shout out to the fact that they have a conference that's coming up very, very soon. And in addition to that, also seeing you know some of my students either here or in other places talking about they want to be engaged in the work and understanding, again, not coming from an egoistic standpoint, but more so like, I want to shift, I want to change things. And knowing that there are folks like Ayanna Presley and uh, Representative Underwood that are engaging in this work, I'm like, okay, yes this is important, this is helpful, and this is how I can work through the painful, complex parts of this, is knowing that there are folks that are actively engaging. And I also would be remiss if I didn't highlight Jenny Joseph. She is my shiro upon shiros upon shiros. So again, just knowing that like she's doing this beautiful work. And there's so many people doing beautiful work. In right. Um, Laura and I both work for an organization here in Columbus called Root, and that is... Um, led by Jessica Roach and your book was, you know, one of the books that was 
required reading. <laughs> so um, shout out to that. And so, yes, there are definitely people out here doing the work and, and in the trenches of it, you know, not just, you know, I think that sometimes, like you said, like we're not at the protest, right? Um we're not, we're protecting our clients right now. <laughs> so no, we're not at the protest, <laughs> but black birth is protest. Um, storytelling is this form of activism for us and, you know, showing up in different ways, whether it's policy, um, do, being, you know, support doulas or, you know, midwives and all these different places that people can find their own space and niche in is so important. And just that it's, you know, these little light bulb moments from, you know, taking the time to read a book, right? I mean, something that, you know, we take for granted sometimes and just like, you know, if it's something for school, but then it's like this thing that can like completely ignite someone into their path. And it's like, thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you for being bold enough. You know? Yes, it was definitely a endeavor. It was definitely a bold endeavor. Um, and I, I, again, I have to make sure that I do mention this. You know, the book, how I came into it is a very interesting story, if you don't mind me sharing really quickly. So what's intriguing is that um, I saw the call for papers for the book and I submitted an abstract, again, related to my own research area. And then Chinure um, called me and was like, can we have a conversation? I think we'd like to pull you in as a co-editor. And so this is when I began to understand that this idea for this anthology actually came out of Black Women Birthing Justice, which is a, <clears throat> an organization, a nonprofit that's based in the Bay Area. And they specifically do sister circles and a number of other advocacy things. They also recently published the book Battling Over Birth as well, right? And again, talking about community-based participation research. So in essence, you know, this was an idea that these women came up with together in this group of like, we think we want to create this book. And so the idea was, was birthed out of that. And so for me, I, I saw myself as a curator, right, of bringing it forward. And I think the other thing that's really intriguing about the book, too, is I had no idea submitting an abstract would lead to me becoming an editor. Like, I didn't expect that that was going to happen. And so the fact that it did happen, another happy circumstance, I keep using the term purposefully, was something that for me that I was like, I can totally get behind this. Like, I know that this is something that I'm deeply invested in and knowing and seeing how these personal narratives alongside the scholarly essays made a difference for people. Because I think sometimes in the academy, we run into this consistent issue of producing things that's only, it's, it's only, you're only able to consume it if you're an academic or you're only able to consume it if you are a learned person. And notice I'm using quote marks with my little fingers here, because at the end of the day, learning can be a variety of different forms and, and things of that sort. But in essence, right? And so for me, I was like, I like the fact that we're creating something together that's producing the ability for people to be able to consume it, right? To be able to read it, to be able to see themselves in it. And I know when we went on the book tour for the first time, that was the thing that was so shocking to me is that women coming up and saying, I read her story and I cried. And it's, it's, I mean, I, my eyes are tearing up just thinking about it again, because it's that notion of like, we were hoping it would touch people. We were hoping it would have a visceral reaction, but seeing someone face to face say, this moved me because I saw myself in her story. Right. And I felt like I couldn't share my story because I didn't think people would believe me. And now here's something in print that showcases the believability of my story, one. And then in addition to that, the fact that like this is a persistent issue for many women. Um, I think the other thing, too, that I did want to share really quickly about the book is like we purposely ended it um, in a certain way. And the goal of it was to say, we don't want you to feel as though you cannot be advocates in a birthing situation, right? Whether you're using a doula or midwife, a combination of both, and also having a support team. 
And I think this is why Jenny Joseph's work is so important, right? Because again, she gets to the purpose of thinking about people exist within communities. And when we understand that birthing happens in communities, particularly for Black folks, right, and other folks of color as well, because again, let me work, make sure that I'm inclusive here. When we think about the fact that birthing typically happens within community, if we know that that birthing person has community, and if we know that they're helping to support them in their advocacy, in their agency, right, in, the, in their situations and in their conversations with clinical people, right, then we see how we can shift some things, right? Because it's like, hold up, I have a whole bunch of people that are standing right here beside me. They're like, no, this is not what's about to go down, right? It's not what's about to go down. And then in addition to that, there's also that ancestral piece of it too, right? The ancestors are standing there too, like, uh-uh, you're not going to do this to my baby right here. No, 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 no. Because we didn't pray this child to come into being, or we have asked for this child to come into being. And so this is what has to go down. And we're not going to deal with anything that's other than, you know, that's different than that. It's just mind blowing to me right now. Like we're talking to you. I know I said I was super excited, but like that book (laughs) (laughs) highlighted parts, pages, you know, folded down, underlined. And I love that you just talked about like the way that you ended specifically like about the advocacy part, because when I first started as a birth worker, I really felt like there was this disconnect about how I was supposed to support or show up. And coming from, you know, a Black community where like we do advocate for our people, there was this like, well, you're not supposed to, you know, speak for your clients or you're not supposed to advocate for the families you work for. And I'm like, I don't, that's not making sense to me. If somebody's doing something wrong, right, right, right. isn't it my purpose here to make sure that that doesn't happen? And so being able to have a book that not only, you know, speaking like that, seeing yourself in those stories, being able to connect, um, you know, I, I absolutely love that, like being able to connect not only to the scholarly piece of it, but also the storytelling um, so that you're getting all sides because some, you know, some people, when you're trying to explain the importance of things, they need that. Um, so to have both, um, but then being able to have a book that like really put it out, like, no, that's how you care for your community. That's how you care for the families you work for. That's how you care for yourself is by being an advocate is by using your voice or whatever it is to uplift, um, that just really changed the trajectory of how I wanted to support people. And what, you know, I was like, well, that does make sense. Mm -hmm. All of y'all are wrong. (laughs) What I think is so intriguing too, Laura, embedded in what you just said is this is what the medical industrial complex does to us, right? This is what it does to us as patients. This is what it does to us as consumers. And again, I'm using quotation marks with my little fingers here, right? This is what it does to us. It tells us that you come to us for authoritative knowledge right? We don't come to you for authoritative knowledge. So in essence, you need to distrust your own sense of yourself, your own knowledge of yourself, and just bow into what it is that we're saying. So again, when you think about things like the white coat syndrome and things of that sort, right? It makes sense because the system is set up to make you disbelieve, to make you distrust yourself, your own intuition. Um, I had the opportunity to, uh, when I was working on my dissertation research in South Carolina, I was in this city called Monk's Corner. It's a little small little community. It's been predominantly Black for hundreds of years. And I met this woman, she was 102 years old, y'all, 102 years old. This woman was so mentally acute. I was like, I want to be you when I grow up. But what was so intriguing to me is that we had this conversation. And in the midst of this conversation, I was talking with her about herbs, right? We were having this conversation. She was telling me all the stuff that she used to do. And she sweared up and down that she was not a midwife. 
But as we were conversing, I was like, but you were there and you were present for all these children coming into the world. So you were kind of midwife to a certain extent. But what's intriguing is, I'm going to go back to the point that I'm trying to make, I'm sorry, is that as we were discussing these herbs, we were talking about this uh, plant, it's called Life Everlasting, right? And this plant was used primarily by folks in the Gullah Geechee, uh, Gullah Geechee um, area in South Carolina for everything, flu, cold, anything that you had, this plant would knock it out, knock it out fully and completely. Do you know that pharmaceutical companies, along with the state government, began to outlaw this plant, Right? And so again, right, so now you have people distrusting and disbelieving something that they grew up using, knowing that it's efficacy. So again, as I was mentioning before, I was talking about this idea or this understanding of historical precedent. This is how the system is set up, right? And it is an industry, it is an industry, right? Because its goal is to make money, is to make profit. You're listening to people's intuition, you're not going to make any money off of it, Right? But you can make money if you do all types of medical interventions. And I want to be really careful here in saying is that there are moments in which medical intervention is necessary. So I've never been one of those scholars in reproductive health in which I say, you know, don't get a C-section. Some people need a C-section. So I've never been that person to say, right, you can't have that or you shouldn't have that. But what I will say, though, is that sometimes these medical interventions are completely unnecessary. And they're unnecessary, but the person buying into the belief that this person has authoritative knowledge, I should trust and believe what they say. Then what you find is people say, okay, I will let you do this thing to me because you're presenting this thing to me. And then we know that there is a series of complications that come as a result of that disbelief and distrust of what needs to happen with your body. You have just given us so many gems. (laughs) But to add on that, is there any advice or what we should know as we all, you know, work towards mapping out a new future of Black birth? I like this question. I mean, I liked all of y'all's questions. I like this question too. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I think about more and more and more is, and I did a, a presentation on this not too long ago at Black Communities, which is a really beautiful conference. If you ever get the chance to go, it's it's uh, hosted by UNC Chapel Hill and they do some collaborations with other local institutions and nonprofits. And one of the things that I did is I made a point of talking about if we're really trying to address, you know, rural health disparities, particularly those related to maternal and infant health among Black folks, why not use what we've been using before, those tried and true types of methods, right? So for me, I think that in order for our future to be better is that we take some of the gems, to borrow from your language really quickly, world, the gems of the past and use those now, right? These things worked, right? They had a level of efficacy that by and large, right, is, is irre- you know, it's, it's irrefutable at this point, right? We also know in a global context, right, that midwives birth babies much more safely, it's just the truth. You tend to see less complications. And that's a global phenomenon. So the fact that this is a global phenomenon, and yet we are still stuck to this very highly medicalized version of birth, right, tells us that sticking with the status quo is not helping us. Why not go ahead and dip back into those things that worked really well? So for example, as I was mentioning before, you know, the utilization of community as a means of surrounding the birthing person and understanding that you can have alternatives, pushing for insurance companies, although yes, we know they're capitalistic and built into white supremacist capitalist patriarchy to borrow from bell hooks for a quick second here, even though we know that, right? If this is the existing system, then can we seek to change that system? I think the other thing for me too is um, I'm excited about some of the new initiatives that are coming out. So I just recently joined this advocacy group that's interested in addressing anti-racism and pushing forward anti-racism in medicine. So again, like seeing how each of these um, organizations, each of these coalitions are, are, are working together, or at least working towards the same goal. 
My interest would be, how do we make sure that they're all connected together? So again, to avoid that silo of information, because at the end of the day, you don't want people doing the same thing in different places and not knowing that. But if you can have people having these joint conversations, I think that the shift can happen. The other thing that I'm so excited about is I am on Twitter and I noticed that there's so, there were several, I want to say at least 20 young Black female identifying folks that are going into OBGYN. And I thought to myself, how powerful is that? That people who are Black birthing folks may potentially have someone who is also a Black person being the person to deliver their baby. That shifts things a lot. Because historically, historically, most OBGYNs were white, male, and they also tended to come from affluent backgrounds. So you see what I mean when I say, if you're shifting who are the people who are practicing, right, then you can shift the outcomes. If you're also pushing for medical schools to understand this history that I'm talking about, because I'm telling you, my goal is to make sure that my book is in every medical school and that it's required reading. Because I think if you are really trying to do this kind of work, then you need to understand that, that that's just so, so important. Um, the other thing that I wanted to say really quickly, too, is in thinking about how do we map this future is to also honor those people who are here that are doing the work. Because I think oftentimes we want to throw flowers for people after they've gone. And the flowers should be thrown now, right? Now. Um, like I think about the recent passing of Mother Tayembe and how saddening that was for me. Because I was like, she should have had her flowers. And I think she got flowers to a certain extent, but more flowers I think should have been there to honor her um, before she passed. Um, and again, it's, it's very unfortunate. It's, it's a huge loss. Like it's hard for me sometimes to even talk about her without tearing up really badly. But I would just simply say is honor those who are doing the work now. And can I just say that honoring someone just is not only saying how great they are, but supporting their work. Yes. And that could be, yes. yes, pay Black women what they are worth, what they yes. ask for. Yes. yes. Daniel, come through. Come through. <laughs> Because that's so important, right? There was this thing I read recently, and I was so excited about it. And the person said, let's talk about this idea of mentoring, right? And they said, we're not just interested in like, oh, let me give you my knowledge. I need you to also sponsor me. See where I'm going with this, right? So this understanding of if you you see the work this person is doing, you want to mentor them and get them to a higher level. Okay, great. But you know that you also need to be sponsoring. So this idea, Daniel, that you're talking about of supporting people, supporting the work. So when you sponsor people, that's how people are paid what they're worth, right? Because now it's like, oh, hold up. This is a credible person. This is a reputable person. This is a expert that you are dealing with. And that is what should happen. It's completely what should happen. And if you know you're going to be at the table, then you need to bring other people at the table too, because they're just as important to the conversation, just like you are. Yeah, exactly. I fully, inc- Ooh, yes, yes, yes. I feel that deep in my bones, Ooh, deep in my bones. And 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 I thank you for, for elaborating upon the idea of, 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 of the flowers, because I think that that's very important because I think people just like, oh, she delivered this baby. And it's like, okay, but are y'all supporting the work that she did at the center, right? Even if you can give $5 a month, that's something. That's $5 for something, right? $5 for something. So yeah. And if you can't give the money, just giving of the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, oftentimes black birthing centers are understaffed, overworked. It's just the truth, right? It's just the truth. So again, it's this understanding of like, if you see this as valuable, then you support the value of that thing. Yeah, you sponsor Absolutely. the value of that Absolutely. Dr. Bonaparte, do you have any projects, books, conferences that you have coming up that you'd like to share? 
you know what is so funny? Y'all are going to be very excited about this. So we recently got a contract for the second edition of Birthing Justice. And so that will be coming out in 22. So I'm very excited about that. Very, very excited about that. So Rutledge came after us and they were like, we think this book was important. It's been doing a good job. What do y'all think? And I was like, heck yeah, let's do this thing. So um, so BJ2 is coming. It's very exciting. Um, we definitely added some new stuff into it in regards to addressing COVID. Uh, there's a piece, uh, there's just uh, some topical matter that I'm really excited about. We're going to be getting into breastfeeding. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so personal narrative and also historical. So I'm really excited about that. Um, we got some heavy hitters that are going to be presenting in there. Um, I don't want to give it all away just, just yet, just, just yet. But what I would just simply say is that we are over the moon excited about this coming out in 22. Um, in addition to that, I have a piece that will be coming out in Black feminist sociology that's looking at maternal health interventions and exploring it from a Black feminist lens in a diasporic way. So in essence, looking at what the Black folks are doing here in the States and looking at what Black folks are doing on the continent of Africa. And so doing this really cool Black feminist analysis of like, but do you see how this stuff is working really, 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 really well? And so again, seeing the connections between those things. So rather than seeing what's happening here in the States and, and what's happening on the continent are very disparate, instead seeing that there's similarity with the work that they do and that there's some really cool things that we can learn from our African brothers and sisters as well, particularly those in, um, in West Africa and Southern Africa. So that's happening. And I am currently working on a book manuscript that's based out of a dissertation. So that's coming along. It's coming along. I'm claiming that I will birth it. I'm claiming that I will birth it. Um, I'm really excited about the project. Um, so I will keep you attuned to the progress of that as those things come along. Um, I'm also doing some work here um, in the Southern California area with a couple of um, organizations of Black Women for Wellness. Um, there's a podcast. I believe they want me to do some stuff for, for Black Women's uh, Maternal Health Week. Um, in addition to that, I'm also doing some advocacy work with, um, it, they have a really long acronym, but in essence, it's the South LA, South Bay AIM folks. And we regularly talk about these things called virtualities. And so it's like an information session that has to do with oftentimes maternal health, education, infant health, and things of that sort. So I'm doing some really, really cool stuff that I'm really excited about, really excited about. Um, so yeah, so those are, those are some of the good things I got I got come along. There's another thing that's happening. I don't want to talk about it too, too, too much yet, but uh, there's another thing that's coming out that's in regards to my work uh, interest that, uh, that I do for medical distrust. Um, among Black folks. And so again, getting into that a little bit deeper. So yeah, that's a little hint. Okay. Ooh, come on. <laughs> you are busy. busy right. Woman. I am busy. I am busy. I am Good busy. busy. But, right. but I was going to say happily busy, like knowing yes. like intellectual stimulation that it's so necessary. And when you have a, a conviction and you have a passion for the work that you do, I think the work kind of shares itself. And uh, there's another little thing that's happening. And Laura, I promise you will get, and Daniel, you, I promise you'll get an invitation. It's something that I'm working on with Keisha Good, who is also an amazing sociology yeah. midwife. So Keisha and I have some good shenanigans at play. Oh. And so <laughs> come into fruition, please know that it has to do with Black birthing work. I'll, I'll leave it yes. at that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm I'm interested. Okay. I'm, interest is peaked. <laughs> I'm always thoughtful about like when you bring up, you know, what's going on in the continent of Africa versus, you know, Africans throughout the world. Um, how much we know that we yeah. don't know, why we know. 
Like how long have black women been saying, stay home with your baby for six weeks? Right. And now it's this new 40 days of postpartum. We've been doing this. (laughs) We didn't know why we were doing it because our mamas told us to, right? That's enough because a black woman told you to. So, um, (laughs) right. right. I love that you said that because, like, we get into that in the moon call class that I was referring to earlier. It's like we talk about that. Like, I start with talking about the goddess goddess energy and how patriarchy came in and tried to like rip it asunder and we talk about these things and the students are always like wait so what is this with the string hanging over the belly and what is this with the the eating of the clay and what is this and what does this mean and so we can cont- I contextualize it and I, and I talk about it and what's been really beautiful to me is when I did some research in Barbados and in Jamaica again seeing this diasporic knowledge like all over the place so for example one of the places where i stayed in barbados the life everlasting plant was just grown all over the place i mentioned my research to someone and they were like here it goes right here and they showed it to me it's just growing all over the place and i said you know this is out loud in south carolina and you just got it just growing all over the place and everybody was like yeah we use it for teas we use it for this we use it for that so Yes, that diasporic knowledge is so, so important. So, so important. It's just beautiful. Um, It's my hope in the future to create something that actually talks about that, right? In a really, really cool and and interesting way. That just makes me think about, like I was, my mom used to make this uh, drink. She called it her concoction. And it honestly was (laughs) apple apple cider vinegar. There was some tea, some lemon, some honey, but she called it her concoction and had us made it. And she never explained to me when I was younger, like why she was drinking this. And she said that she never could really understand it was just something that her grandmother had always made in the morning. And so I just think about like when you were stating like how the um, MIC has really made us distrust ourselves and how I feel like for many of us in birth work, specifically thinking about our, our parents and their distress with themselves and like not being able to make that connection. And I sometimes feel like if you're, if you're not in the birth work field, you miss a lot of these connections. Mm -hmm. And so being able to share with her, you know, like, no, there was a purpose. There's a purpose behind why you drank that every day. Um, and really being able to reel those who aren't always embedded in the work, you know, beyond just being birth supporters or having children, um, how to trust themselves too. Like it's all a part of reproductive health. It's all a part of reproductive justice is really just being able to re- understand why you do the things you do, why this is important and that you've been doing it because it's part of our tradition, part of who we are, um, so all of that just made me think about that connection with my mom, her and her concoction. <laughs> no, I think that that's so beautiful, the lore, right? Because again, you just showcase something really interesting or intriguing, I should say. And that is, I don't know why I do the thing, but I know that it works. And I also think about like the elder folks in my family, you know, both of my grandmothers have since passed on. But I've, one of the things that I remember that was so interesting is um, my maternal grandmother, she used to say, drink, uh, she'd, she'd make you take, uh, what is like a tablespoon of like baking soda if you had upset stomach. And I remember thinking to myself, like, why do you want me to put that in my stomach? Like, why could you just give me some Pepto-Bismol? And this is a woman who grew up on a farm, right? Like a literal, actual like farm, pigs, goats, ducks, chickens, you name it. They had it, right? Rabbits, all these kinds of things. And she was like, because it works and we don't need to go to the store. Well, we have what we need right here. So again, like that understanding of like folks who just, they just tell you it works. 
I think the other thing that I, I want to highlight really quickly here is that grandmother midwives, one of the things that they did within their communities, they actually taught black folks um, on plantations in particular how to cultivate their own gardens. So again, when we think about these, like, what is it called? Uh, what's the term I'm thinking of? This intergenerational transmission of knowledge, this cultural reproduction, reproduction of knowledge, right? Understanding and knowing, like, there are these people in Black communities that were like, so you need to grow this and this and this, but you can't grow this. This grows in my garden, but you can't have this. So things like belladonna, for example, like, you don't need to grow that. That's for me to grow because I know what purposes it, it can serve. In addition to that, they also would explain to Black community members, listen, like, this is good for in the winter, right? So you want to have a cultivate a whole bunch of this in order to save you over. So when we don't get scraps and things of that sort, these are the things that will help us stay healthy and strong. And then also when you think about the work that they did in a prenatal context and also the postnatal, again, it's the same type of thing of like, make sure you have some of this in the garden. Make sure you have some of this in the garden. Make sure you have some of this in the garden. Because these are the things that are going to help you. These are the things that are going to help your milk run consistently. These are the things that are going to help you be able to go because oftentimes there's difficulty being able to go after you give birth. So again, like all of these kinds of things of like, Knowing that, that that cultural transmission of knowledge is so, so pivotal, so, so, so pivotal. You know, there's one wish that I have, um, and Lord, you just reminded me of this, is that I wish I had had a book, like a notebook, and could have written down all these things that my grandmothers knew, right? Because um, my paternal grandmother was a nurse. And again, but she knew stuff too. And so she'd say, oh, yeah, we used to do this. And because she was raised in Alabama, and my maternal grandmother was raised in Mississippi. But again, these segments of knowledge were very, very similar, right? And so I do, I wish, I truly, truly wish that I had like a notebook of all of these things that she would say and that she would do in regards to like, you know, healing stuff and things that you can use to kind of up your system, make it strong. You know, I think about my Caribbean brothers and sisters and which they talk about like, you know, you want to you be strong, you got to take this tonic and do this thing. I think it's why I love going to the Caribbean and I go to the little naturalist stores and they have all types of like fun little things. And I'm like, oh, no, what does this do? And what is that? And then you find out like, oh, this comes from this plant that's growing right here and this plant is growing right here. So again, you know, when you get to see that, I just think it's such a, a beautiful thing. And, and the thing that I've noticed more than anything else is you start talking about plants with people, particularly people who do like plant and garden and things of that sort, they get so excited. Like the world is just their oyster at that point. It's like, yes, let's talk about this. Let's talk about, so what do y'all use? And what is this called? You know? So it's, it's just fun. It's just fun. Like there's a, a plant that we learned about um, when I was in Jamaica. It's called tuna. And I remember thinking to myself, why would you call a plant tuna? But apparently this plant was used for um, like chest issues. So if you had like respiratory issues or things with your throat, they would steep it and they would use it for that particular purpose. And it was so funny because I had a conversation with two people and some other folks came over. They heard the conversation. They're like, oh, yeah, my granny used to give me tuna all the time whenever my chest got cold. And, you know, so they're having this conversation. I'm sitting there and I'm just like, this is so cool. It's just so cool because I'm a nerd about stuff like this. And I'm, I'm like, tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. We are so, so grateful. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners? One, y'all need to keep listening to this podcast because it's important. I mean, just saying. Um, but two, I just want to express gratitude to the both of you for, for what it is that you're doing. You know, I've had, I think I may have texted this to you, Laurel. I had some students that were like, what can I find? And I'm like, oh, you need to check out this podcast for the stories in color. This is my people right here. Do some things. You know, I think the other thing, too, is to trust yourself. I, I think that's a theme in our conversation today is like is trusting ourselves. And if something seems squirrely, right, as my people like to say, something's real squirrely, pause, take a second and say, OK, something about this doesn't feel right. Whether it's your body or somebody else's 
you know, body, right? Like something about this doesn't feel right. I don't feel good about this thing. And we need to address this thing, right? In whatever way possible. Um, I think also with the trusting in oneself, if you feel afraid or you feel concerned, seeking out community, right? So again, right, so that trust and intuition, and if you don't know how to take the next step, then asking for community to support you in those kinds of decisions. And I think last, um, but even more importantly, right, is I think that just taking care of ourselves is just so important. And taking care is not just doing glittery like gold nails, but I think also just taking the time to be to be in silence sometimes, just to not to not look at the news, to not look at television, to not doom scroll on Twitter and any other Instagram things that you look at, but instead to just take really good care of myself. I really think that the, the universe is providing us several important lessons, but the most of which is just stop being distracted by all of this stuff that's really not important. Because on the day that you die, are you really going to be thinking about that paper that you didn't turn in? Are you really going to be thinking about the fact that, you know, you didn't get those clothes washed that last time? You know what I mean? Are you really going to be thinking about the fact that, like, I only gave my child two vegetables today versus six that's required? You're not going to be thinking about that. You're really not going to be thinking about that. So again, just that notion of, of taking really good care of yourself. So it's just so, so important. And just focusing on things that make your heart sing. I know that sounds really like woo-woo, but that's how I feel. Like, I think if we focus on our joy more and we think about cultivating our joy, I think our lives are made much better. Thanks for listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com.